Welcome to Pressure Profiles, a show born out of the need for representation and community in the hospitality industry. In this episode, I talk to Sierra Yeo, coffee specialist, freelance writer, and founder of The Core Directive. Unlike previous episodes, Sierra is not situated in Berlin, but in London. We ended up talking for almost two hours and discussed topics like visas, cultural differences, Asian family expectations, social justice, and much, much more. A trigger warning is warranted for discussions regarding suicide. <laughs> now we're recording. Nice. Yeah, now we're recording. Now we're live. Zencaster is great. Uh, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, we ha- already had one uh, problematic experience with it when it was just like it recorded the first twenty second, uh, twenty minutes, and then it cut out the last forty. So we were like, "Oh no, the whole interview is gone." Oh my god. Yeah, but anyway, welcome to the podcast, Sierra. Hey! Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, nice to have you. How do you pronounce your last name or last names? Uh, so it's just yo. Like I get all Sarah the yo. Yeah, I get all okay. the jokes where people think they're being imaginative, and they're like yo, Sierra, and I'm like, oh god, don't. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I obviously also I mean that's not obvious. Uh, I did Google you before. <gasps> before sitting down. Oh. And I found that you you have like Burgess Yo or yes, so that's a long story with that. Yeah, that was my um my ex's name. So I used to be married, so that was his name. But I reverted back to my maiden name now. So yeah, otherwise the double barreling is just interesting. It's an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, how long were you married? <laughs> oh God, I was married for like three years, going on four. Yeah, and then it just didn't work out, so. Oh my god, how old are you? <laughs> oh my god, I am currently, I am 20, I'm turning 27. Okay. Next month. Okay. Holy okay. crap, time flies. Uh, yeah, I'm turning 27 next month, Um, and I got married when I was 22, and then separated when Shit. I was 25. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a whole that's a story for another time, man. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna okay. drink some yeah, wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can do that. We can get back to you like yes, please. in a few weeks or so, and then we just have a wine recording. Yes, that's going to be the behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like starting off, would you? How would you like to introduce yourself for the audience? Oh God, uh, you'd think I would have a prepared like elevator pitch, but I every oh, time I introduce don't. myself, I know every time I do, it's different. So, um, my name is Sierra. Uh, I am a woman feminist immigrant um, who emigrated from uh, Singapore and I've been in, I'm currently based in the UK and I've been based in London for the last uh, four years. Um, And yeah, I do a whole ton of things. I've been in the coffee industry for about seven years now and uh, worked my way up from being a barista at a dinky little cafe, a dinky little deli cafe back when I was at uni, struggling to pay my bills. And um, currently I am the coffee specialist for Alpro UK, which is a plant-based company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also the founder of The Core Directive, which is a, a feministic diversity network based uh, in the UK. But currently we've got people from all over the world um, in our Discord community. 
Uh, and in my spare time, I am the mother to a devil cat uh, called Salem. <laughs> <laughs> and I also do some freelance writing on the side as well. That's quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, the devil cat is a lot. <laughs> oh, the devil cat is the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, yeah, so you moved to you moved to the UK from Singapore. Yes. Did you move to UK to start school? Yeah, so I moved here when I was 19. Um, and that was in like 20, 2013. Um, and I came here for university. So I did my university um, in York, which is a small northern city. Um, and I, I, sorry, I did a bachelor's in linguistics. Okay. And York was the, the obvious choice for you? Or why was... Oh my god! It was um, it's it's been a it's a bit of a funny one because when I was so when I was sixteen, um, in twenty ten, we my school arranged a you know an English literature trip to the United Kingdom, and it was basically like a whistle stop tour. We started in Glasgow and then kind of worked our way down to London over the course oh, of wow. two weeks. Yeah, it was intense. It was intense, but it was so much fun. And um, and one of the cities we stopped over in was York and I have so many wonderful memories of that place even prior to like doing university there York is apparently one of the most haunted towns in uh, in Europe so I was like this is this is my jam I, I love creepy things um yeah but also it's it's just a beautiful town it's got lots of history it has like Viking history and Roman history you know all all entwined so um yeah and then I didn't want to do university in London Weirdly enough, I was just like, oh, I'm sick of cities. I grew up in a city. I don't want to be in a city. Um, mm. So then I chose York, which is a really small city. And it's on the edge of like a lot of different, um, you know, nature, uh, natural hotspots. So, yeah, so by, how, how many people lives in York? I don't actually know. But it's literally the kind of city where you could, everybody knows everybody. Like everybody yeah. knows everybody's business. You know, you've worked in one place, you've worked in them all. Um, yeah, but I loved it. I loved it. Oh no, it did the thing. It did the thing. <gasps> Come back. Okay, um, before we got interrupted, we were talking about York. Yes. And how you ended up choosing York. Because you didn't want to study in London. Basically. I, yeah. Basically, I was like, anywhere but London. And then went to the smallest, like, coziest little city available um, that I knew of um, and had prior experience with. And I loved it. Like, York is a beautiful university city. Mm. Um, it, it's got so much, like, ancient architecture. Like, the, the wall, the, the city is surrounded by, like, the York walls. So you can just walk around the city on the walls and stuff. And it's just all, like, crenellated. And, and yeah, it, it was just very, it was beautiful. We've got, like, a cathedral there. So there's a part of me that's always going to have a special place um, uh, for the city in my heart. But, yeah, then after that, I was like, okay, I actually really miss a big city. So I'm going to move. Yeah. I'm going to move south. So, yeah. So you would say it's quite like it's quite a living city within the young population because of the university, or 
Yeah. So a lot yeah. of the people that go there primarily go there for the university, which is a uh, Russell Group University. So kind of mm-hmm. like the Ivy Leagues, but in the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bizarre. But um, and it's also it was one of the most highly rated universities for linguistics, which was my uh, degree. So, yeah, it seemed like a natural choice to me at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to. Actually, I went to Sweden's biggest university city, but to to compare it's actually really really empty when the students are not there so i assume whenever i i think during corona it would have been really really empty because there wouldn't be so many exchange students oh for sure for sure and during summertime everyone leaves and it becomes a ghost city and it's like oh this is the biggest <laughs> biggest university yeah. city we have because it's so low, uh, it's all like built around the university. And that's why people go to Uppsala instead of Stockholm or Gothenburg or Malmö. They, they go to Uppsala because it's like the most renowned university. Right. And what did yeah. you read at university? I studied for a long time. So I started with a bachelor in literature. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that Absolutely made me want to not read books for many, many years. No, that see, I get that. I get that. Like when you're doing it for a degree and you're just like, I I just don't think I could do books anymore because it's just ruined it for me. Um, it did. And I thought it would gonna be the like the easiest way in. Yes. Yeah. Essentially to move to university, we were like, oh, let's just pick something that we will definitely get into. And literature was one of those classes that as long as you had the grades for it, you were uh, guaranteed a spot. Yeah. So we just picked it and we moved there. And as soon as I started studying it, I was like, it just ruined everything for me. It's a big mistake. It it felt like a big mistake. (laughs) I, I think now in hindsight, it was a really good thing because you just change the way you read and what you like which eyes you're reading with yeah i think that like the critical analysis component of literature is so important yeah um, for sure you know, and being able to like pick out meaning because i so i did literature like all the way through high school like it was always a subject i did really well in so i i miss it i miss it but i'm also kind of glad listening to you now that i didn't take it <laughs> the university so yeah but yeah i think i got stuck actually like i got stuck in university life because it's it's so attainable in Sweden. Yeah. Like you university is free. You just uh you can still take the loan. Like I took I'm very heavily indebted because of the very good loan that you're allowed to apply for for 6 years in Sweden. So you can mm. actually like do studying full time for 6 years and get financial aid. Mm-hmm. But I continued with anthropology and I did a another bachelor in anthropology with the side subject of gender studies that is so cool that's like the coolest combination of it yeah yeah I mean yeah and then I realized that now I have two bachelors in subjects that no one <laughs> want to hire me in oh so. god <laughs> and then we both went into coffee and you're like what did I do in my degree <laughs> yeah. maybe but I actually I took a third bachelor actually so I became a, a social worker, so I have that a bachelor amazing. in social work, which was the reason 
like I took it because I needed something more attainable and I needed something that you know I can fall back on if I don't become a writer which I probably won't be <laughs> then I I can work like I can there's yeah. always going to be a need for social workers so I took the safe way and it it was really good and I think I learned a lot and it was really fun and I worked with I worked in the field for a little bit after I was done and then life happened and then we moved to Australia and then I fell in love with coffee and that's how the story goes. <laughs> I feel like that's it for that's kind of it for all of us, but I also find that coffee is such a useful and wonderful vehicle for for merging the things that we care about into it like and I think like with your degree in social work so much of what is discussed in social work goes hand in hand with what's being discussed in coffee today so yeah Yeah, you know and gender studies as well and and all that stuff you know so yeah I mean I don't I don't I definitely I am happy I studied all of that but a part of me is like could I have studied something or could I have waited a little bit and like picked other things that would have set me in a different direction but I never like I always feel like if I change anything in my past then it would have changed my whole like my trajectory yeah yeah Yeah, the whole trajectory and that I don't want that I mean maybe I didn't take all the best decisions but here I am and I'm okay with being here you know (laughs) you can never that's the thing you can never know right and also like if we if if we're gonna I'm sure this is gonna come up at some point during our conversation today but like Man, when I told my mom that I, you know, wanted to continue doing coffee and like yeah. with Asian parents, it's just, it's an impossible conversation to have. She was just like, when are you going to get a real job? Or, you know, what, like when I told her, because, because I had done linguistics, um, yeah. she was expecting something of the sort. But at the time, um, the, the jobs I would have needed to get to apply for a working visa to remain in the UK were things like speech therapy or working in the hospital. And I was like, that's not really my calling. The only other option was like voice coaching for, uh, for actors. And I was like, I am terrible with accents. This is just never going to happen. <laughs> so I Those was like, really weird, yeah. like things to choose from. Oh, so bizarre. And because I mean, and obviously, uh, you know, the whole like, STEM subjects are more highly rated or STEM careers are more highly rated than, you know, artistic careers. Yeah. You know, the, the, the speech therapy route was the one that like, you know, my family were gunning for. And I was just like, it's just not, it's not me. I don't want to work in a hospital as much as I do value speech therapy. And I, and I, I value, you know, helping people be able to articulate better. Yeah, it wasn't my calling. It just really wasn't. Um, and then I had fallen in love with coffee, and it's one of those things where you're like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's a great thing." But I'm also, yeah. Sometimes it just makes me sigh. I'm like, and then I fell in love with coffee. Yeah, my life was ruined forever. And how but tough also- it's been. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being paid minimum wage, but like that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like I. I do feel like hot coffee and then hospitality, you know, at, at large really taught me so many other things, like so many other skills that I don't think any other career would have taught me. Like it taught me to put up with a lot of bullshit. I think yeah. that's like skill number one. Um, you know, it taught me to grin and bear it. It taught me about like the, the you know, discipline and hard work. Um, but then I think what really, what really set me alight was 
the amount of change that needed to happen, like the, the, the inequalities and inequities that you could see for yourself in the industry when you're working in it. And you're like, Oh, you know, I've, there's something that needs changing here and maybe I could be the one to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, like that, I think that's what made me con- like stay in coffee. I know that there was definitely certain points that I'm sure you felt the same way as well, where you're just in like, screw this shit. I'm out of here. This is madness. And then you're like, no, 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 there's, there's something else to stay for. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had that feeling a few times, but mm. it's been hard to distance myself too much from it because I have a partner that works in coffee. It's very prominent. It's always there, you know? Yes. Yeah, I get that. But then, uh, th- this is a good, actually, because I wanted to talk to you about the core directive and I wanted you to, like, explain everything. It was like, I felt like you touched upon it just now with talking about the things that you saw that needed to change. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about core directive and when and how you created it and what it is? Yeah. Um, I, I love telling the story because it gets, <laughs> it gets saltier with every retelling. <laughs> oh, <So>. no. <laughs> <laughs> like in a good way, in a good way, not in like yeah. a slander and libel kind of way. But, um, like I had just moved, I've moved down to London, um, and had been there for about a year, a year and a bit. And, um, was just really discouraged because having worked in in the industry for I think maybe three or four years at that point and having moved down, I was like, oh, in London, my prospects are going to be so much better. Um, So then I worked my way. And when I say worked my way, I mean like turnover is super high. I don't think I lasted in a job more than like six months each time. Um, And I used to think, ah, shit, like maybe I'm the problem. Mm. Um, There was a lot of like being overworked. I thought I was being undervalued at the time. There were like, there were moments where I was being passed up for like, promotions and things like that um so I didn't last very long in in jobs and it was a combination of different things like hospitality is really physically grueling but also I was wondering if 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 maybe I was the issue like maybe I just wasn't happy with every job or I had always found something to you know nitpick at or criticize um and then finally it culminated in me uh joining the workforce of a very prominent cafe uh in london so they've mm-hmm. been like they were one of the first to be around they're one of the like the most established specialty cafes ever and when i got there people you know my fellow baristas were like oh this is the place you want to be at if you want to leave the bar like, this is the place you want to be at to make all your connections and i was like okay cool like we'll we'll see if this works but what i experienced there was just nothing short of horrible like Again, the understaffing and, 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 and all that was an issue. Um, a lot of times uh, I saw a lot of nepotism happening. So like friends being promoted. Um, at the time, I was like one out of two full-time women uh, staff members um, out of a roster of maybe eight to ten people. Yeah. You know, and things like that. And um it got to the point where I was like, this is horrible. Like, this is really toxic. And I'm not being heard. No one wants to, no one wants to develop me. They just want me to be a cog and keep my head down. And that was, that was how I felt. Um, 
so then I got to the point where I was like, screw this, as you do. Um, and I left and that place traumatized me so much. Um, and it just made me so resentful. And I just remember for several months after slipping into quite a severe depression, I didn't, mm. I didn't want to apply for like jobs. I didn't want to apply for the same type of job again after having worked in, you know, what was supposed to be the best place for baristas at the time. Um, yeah. I didn't want to be a barista again. I was like, this is awful. Um, but then on the back of that anger was me, because it was such a hot spot for baristas, like you would have people visiting all the time. So like that, that network of communication was very, was very good. And um, in that work, I got to meet so many other people, particularly women and particularly uh, people of color who had very similar experience in the industry. So then it, it, I reached this kind of like eureka point where I was like, oh, maybe it's not just me. Like maybe I'm not just the only common denominator in these situations where I've had to leave work or like, you know, you know, leave, leave a workplace and whatever. Yeah. But also there's like, there's white patriarchy at hand. And the idea of the, prof like the structure of professionalism in most companies today will be built to benefit and favor white cishet males. Yeah, and that was sure. such a yeah, that was such a eureka moment for me. And that was like that was even before I had even I considered myself a feminist. That was before I'd ever actively used that term to describe myself. Um, that was before I have half the the capacity for discourse or vocab that I have today to talk to people about it. It was just a it was just the notion that I thought things needed to change, and. Yeah, and that was how the core directive was formed. So I left that I left that place in August, and then we had our launch party in November, and that was just kind of like a okay, let's gauge if feminism in the coffee industry is a thing, and it was a thing, and like so many people turned up, so many people were like, oh my gosh, like thank you for creating the space, like we've experienced similar things in our workplace, and it was like oh, so this is a wider conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, and I remember at the time that like. I was surprised that this didn't already exist. Right. Bear in mind, this was like 2018, 2019. I was like, how is feminism not a thing yet? Yeah. It's because it's not that, it's not that long ago, actually. Yeah. But I just thought surely someone would have started a women in coffee in London or women in coffee in the UK thing by now. So how how did it happen? Like how what what was the steps to setting that up? Did it start on Instagram or how did you like reach the right people? How did you meet? Yeah, so it was it was on Instagram and a lot of it was word of mouth. So I so we created the account and then I asked different women that I knew would had already, you know, we'd already had like conversations about feminism and and was like, "Okay, I'm thinking of starting this thing. Would you like to come on board?" Um, and the answer was always yes. And then we, you know, we found an illustrator and then we, you know, kind of built that following from there. I went around asking friends and people, you know, who wanted to be involved, what they wanted, what change they wanted to see or what yeah. skills they wanted to learn. So when we started out in the early days, it was very much a career networking and progression thing. So the events that we curated would be skills-based. 
So we would, I wanted to like set up a program for women to learn how to roast so that we could put out like female roasters into, into the scene. You know, mm-hmm. we did stuff like grinder maintenance and espresso machine maintenance, which, you know, it, it again, our, our skill sets that are not readily available to women half the time because of unconscious yeah. bias and things like that. So that was very much the slant that we took in the beginning. And now it's very much a, a you know, a community support when things open up, get uh, open up again, hopefully we'll be able to go back to like skills-based um, networking once more. But yeah, there's very much that, that, that ambition that is coded into what we want to do um, that I think is super important. Yeah. We had a similar thing. I think that was supposed to be opening up in Berlin as well. There was someone who uh, started reaching out to, especially women within the industry. And we're talking about, doing like a feminist like learning opportunities feminist learning opportunities i think yeah is it female barista or something like, yeah. yeah yeah exactly but i think that didn't really go anywhere in the end and i think it maybe it had to do with lack of time or lack of just people that wanted to engage i don't know that's such a shame like we had a we had a big meeting as well but i don't think anything came out of it oh man that's such a shame i think i think especially with a lot of this kind of work like it's all voluntary and that's been the biggest struggle i've personally had as well as like other people that i know who are for example serving on the committee or served on the committee before um at the end of the day we're currently not in a place where we are structured to be able to pay ourselves um and everything is a labor of love. Yeah. And that is both testament to like how powerful it is that, you know, even with a full-time job, like a lot of these women who are involved or people who are involved are able to put aside part of their time for us um, and for what we're trying to do. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you never know. It, it, you, you know fully how much of a <laughs> burden, you know, it can be when you're trying to yeah. juggle so many plates. And like... Yeah, like, it, I, I really hope that one day, um, you know, we'll be able to really talk about sponsorship or like membership, and be able to at least fund in some way, uh, some parts of our operations. Yeah, you should. I mean, how many people are you on the on the committee right now? On the committee, there is six of us, including myself, but I technically, like, don't count just because I've always been there. I'm just kind of like part of I'm the fly on the wall. just kind of like hey um but yeah so there's five very capable women leading us at the moment i think uh i am in a whatsapp group or no i joined a discord group actually but so far discord has not caught my attention at all i think it's just a social media thing and it's the same with what's this new uh clubhouse i also oh god yeah like i entered it and i listened to a talk that was really really engaging and really great but then i just forgot about it and it's just a a silent app on my phone now and i'm like i i looked into it today and i'm like okay nothing happened here great (laughs) (laughs) when do i delete it um no i but the discord is like the total opposite. There's so much things happening and it's stressing me out. So I'm just like, oh, I can't be there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. I, it pops off. And I feel like, so the thing, the thing about the discord, at least I feel, A, I totally relate to you saying like, it's just another app. 
and you know and like social media on the whole is is something that I'm still trying to figure out my relationship to yeah so when we were like when we were still in our baby whatsapp days so the core you know we, we were maybe like 20 women max and we were on this whatsapp group um and then uh black lives matter so the pandemic kicked off that was that was intense that was last year oh, and yeah. then um someone was like why don't we do weekly calls which is kind of what we do now like why don't we do weekly calls to keep in touch with each other in the community and i remember my first thought was oh my god like not a <laughs> zoom call like are you for real um i'm not gonna run it like i was really i was really selfish i was just like oh what um very very thankfully you know it went ahead and i didn't have to do anything <laughs> it was very much spearheaded by other women um in the community and holy crap i'm so glad that i got proven wrong you know, and I'm very yeah. humbled by it because without like one year on, like, I don't know if I would be here and be of sound mind today without um, these calls and, you know, keeping in touch with the community weekly. Um, and then Black Lives Matters, you know, the whole Black Lives Matters movement took off in about May mm. after the death of George Floyd. Um, and we were just catapulted into this whole realm of, you know, diversity work and, and discussions about equity and inequity and it got to the point where like I was waking up to something like 300 messages a day yeah. on, a, on a whatsapp group and it's so hard to keep track so yeah, just a bit yeah. like oh my god um and you <laughs> want to keep track because a lot of the conversation that was happening was so valuable like I did yeah. actually make myself read through all 300 messages um yeah. but then it was just like okay this is not sustainable like, this is the kind of thing that will make people tune out. So I was like, okay, maybe now is the time to talk about shifting over to a different platform. And that was how Discord came about. Um, I was already on Discord for some other stuff. And I was like, this is, I mean, this is kind of nice. Like, it's not very yeah. commonly used just yet. So let's shift on to this and, and see how we go. And since then, it's been a lot easier for me personally to keep track of, like, what conversations I want to dip into and what conversations I don't. So, yeah. Yeah. But I do get that. Like if there's like 20 chats popping off, you're just like, where do I start? How do I get out of here? So. Yeah. I, I think I also have this like need to keep, like if I start following a discussion, I have this need to keep going with it and keep following it and reading it. So I yeah. just feel like I'm always behind and it's, it's basically like being at uni. You always have something in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, I'm not finished with that yet. Like, that's still there. Like, for, like also a bit of FOMO as well. You're like, what have I missed out on? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And yeah. I think Discord would be a really good, like, channel for it. But since I never, like, really dwelled into it, I was like, no, <laughs> it's still stressing. <laughs> like, I yeah. see those red red numbers and I'm like oh shit is that something I need to look into <laughs> like, oh god no like honestly um and obviously you can toggle the, the the notifications and stuff but yeah I think the thing I learned about social media and I used to really really hate it like actively hate it was that like it's only as useful as much as you put into it and that was such a hard lesson for me to learn because I was like I just hate the idea of it like yeah. I hate that people are glued to their phones and blah 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 but like I think in the age of the pandemic it's actually probably saved my life um, because I live alone. If yeah. there's no way I would be able to keep in touch with the world without it. So I've had to like actively change my thinking and my yeah. system surrounding it. So yeah, it's a bit of a journey, I think. Oh, for sure. 
I mean, some days I feel like I get all of my in- important inputs on Instagram, and sometimes I'm just like, this is this is oh, the world well. crumbling before my eyes. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's so detrimental. Some days, uh, so I've been pretty much off Instagram for the last week, and it's really given me something back. Like I feel like okay, I can't spend all of my time there because it's. In a time where, like, the mental health is not <laughs> on top anyway, it feels like, oh, this can easily push me off the edge. And it's, I guess you have to also be a little bit on top of your own mental mental health and be like, oh, okay, shit, <laughs> maybe I'm doing this to myself now. Because you can't also, like, spend 20 hours of your day learning new things just to no. be always the most woke or, like, yeah, you know. No, and I think, like, wokeness can get very, very toxic very quickly. Like, I've read a couple books recently where it said, like, the most valuable thing is to not have to know everything. Yeah. Or, like, be okay <laughs> with not knowing everything and just being like, hey, actually, I don't really know about this thing that you're trying to tell me. Like, oh, let me go do some research. But I think also with Instagram, and I found this ironically because I recently got a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> just like I'm one of the old I'm one of the older ones on TikTok which I find hilarious um but basically the way that I the way I feel the Instagram algorithm works for me is that because it's so carefully curated to show me the things that I agree with and that I want to see sometimes it's a lot because you're just battered constantly with with people's opinions and then you feel like you have to form your own opinions and like be just as strongly opinionated as everybody else and um, yeah. A lot of that discourse is also political, and politics is something that is just an energy sapper. It's a fucking energy vampire. Um, yeah, you know. And then I only realized this about you know so so deeply about Instagram when I got TikTok because on TikTok for me at least right now, it's all cats and yeah. <laughs> weird animals. Like I get people sending me like um, videos of snakes and they're so cute and like funny skits so I will literally laugh till I cry on TikTok because it's just content that makes me happy yeah um and then I'm like okay I'm gonna leave Instagram for like the political intense stuff but every time I need a break I'm just gonna switch to TikTok and just laugh for 10 minutes um which I find fascinating because I used to be like oh I'm not gonna get a TikTok and now I do have TikTok so this is yeah it's been a very (laughs) funny balance yeah we all done new things during the quarantine yeah but you were also like, were you back in Singapore for a bit? Yes, I was. Oh, man. So uh, it was a little bit of a, a double-edged sword. I um, My visa was running out. And we didn't get to renew. Well, we didn't get to um, apply for my work visa in time. So I was on a partner visa and then had to switch over to a work visa. And I was hoping that it would overlap in 2020, but obviously 2020 being the dumpster fire that it was, um, everything got delayed and it got to the point where we were in like, we were in May and yeah. I was like, I, I need to go, I need to move. I need to go home. Um, oh, and wow. that, yeah. So that was, you know, to risk being deported, I had to leave the country and, um, it was. Did you have to uproot everything then? Do you have to like? I don't know if you live in the same place or if you had to get a new place or what happened there. I mean, literally everything came crumbling down. Like everything was taken away in the blink of an eye. Um, like I had had a partner at the time when I was when I left, 
but over the course of me being in Singapore, we broke up. Like he still had like my cat and like all of my stuff because I was gonna, I you know, the plan was that I was gonna come back. But then with the pandemic being completely unprecedented, what would normally have been a fairly straightforward process. So, I mean, the, just to give you a whistle-stop tour of like the visa application process, yeah. um, if you're applying for a work visa, the company do this thing where they like put your job out for, you know, for, for advertising and, you know, people apply, but it's actually just for show to prove to the home office that, you know, they can't hire anyone locally. So they have to hire internationally, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, as I was leaving, that was when like mass layovers were happening, like layovers, sorry, mass layoffs were happening. Um, mm. That was the time when a lot of my friends were like, hey, I saw that your job was going up for grabs. Like, do you mind if I apply and shit like that? And I had to be like, no, because oh, wow. <laughs> I, I want to come back. Um, you know, no, you then, can't have my job. <laughs> yeah. And it was so hard to explain and exhausting to explain, you know, time and again. I literally had this one dude be like, hey, just so you know, I've applied for your job. But I was just curious, like, why are you leaving? And I was like, why did you ask me this after you applied? <laughs> you asked me this before. Um, so this was then you were working at a cafe. No. So then. No, no, no. So then I was like, um, so this was like May. And then um, so my so my point with that was I didn't know if the company would turn around and say, hey, sorry, we've changed our minds because it's just a lot more cost effective for us to hire locally so okay why yeah. whereas like normally like under you know non-pandemic situations like it probably that probably wouldn't be a, a, a risk that, I would, that they would have to take but my company were very very kind and I, I would like to think that they value my work because they did get me back in the end um but for I think for four to five months of my life so August to December uh 2020 I found myself in the situation of being transported back home you know in a country that I had wanted to leave in the first place and hadn't lived in for seven years so that was such a yeah oh I can't imagine (laughs) that was a hell of a hell of a trip um good and bad things um I obviously normally wouldn't have had a chance to spend that much time with my family because you know if you if you're applying for holiday the most you get is like two weeks or a month yeah. or something, um, I got to spend four to five months with them, which I thought was such a wonderful blessing. Um, the caveat to that was I couldn't really apply for a full-time job because I was like, I don't know if I'm going back. I don't know when I'm going back. There was obviously the whole like mental strain surrounding that. I entered, you know, d- depression several times during that, that window. Um, yeah. I was suicidal a couple times. Like, so it was a truly a roller coaster. And, um, to keep myself occupied, I did get a part-time job uh, working with a coffee tech company, uh, which was very cool. So it was like, it was nice to be able to still, you know, be in touch with like my friends from my life from halfway across the world. But it was also a very weird and lonely time because obviously I just wasn't there. So. So were you ever, did you ever have the, or did you start thinking about maybe, um, gonna have to live in Singapore and maybe that's or maybe that's what you wanted to do at some point even like I don't know the story like I don't know how attached to Singapore you are you know (laughs) yeah oh it's it's complicated and I think for a lot of like third culture kids you know the home and identity 
are such complicated things to navigate, particularly because people move around a lot now. Like, you know, you can have parents from all over the world and, and friends from all over the world and things like that. So um, for me, I had always wanted to leave Singapore because I never felt like I fit in growing up. Um, and I, I didn't like the career choices that were presented to me. I didn't like the people around me. I didn't like the culture. Um, so then I left. Um, but then I think being in the UK gave me such a different perspective because I realized that there were a lot of things I took for granted. Um, and it's one of those things that I think you're just immature when you're 18 and you're just like, I just want to leave. And you don't, you don't notice the blessings that you have. Um, but then throughout my time here, I was able to, I think, develop my critical thinking and be like, okay, there are certain things I would love to change about Singapore you know, as part of my work and activism, if I do go back and live there at mm. this point in time, currently, as we're recording this podcast, I, I don't have any plans to go back and live in Singapore long term, but that might change in future. Um, I said this time around when I went back, I was like, well, there's still certain things like I'm waiting for policy to catch up to like progressiveness. For example, yeah. um, in Singapore, there's a legislation that you can't purchase your own apartment that is publicly funded so we have like a strong like public housing um system you can't yeah. purchase an apartment un- if you're single until you're the age of 35 and even then you can't buy it it has to be like a, a built to order apartment do you know what i mean so you like so you yeah. can buy what's already there or you have to buy privately which is obviously like 10 times the amount of money or something uh, so stuff like that yeah. um gay marriage is still illegal in singapore so i could marry a friend to buy an apartment <laughs> You know, things like that. So policy hasn't caught up with progressiveness just yet. So until that happens, I think um, it's not the time for me to go back. Do you have any insight in the hospitality industry in Singapore? Like, what does that look like compared to to working in it in London, for example? Oof. Um, It's interesting because we don't have an official national minimum wage in Singapore. So we have the we have the market rate and that's kind of like informal like mm-hmm. you ask around and everybody kind of knows what everyone's being paid minimally yeah. um but that's obviously different and people can take the piss I guess with underpaying. Yeah. Um so I find that personally quite problematic but I have heard very plausible arguments as to why we can't implement it just because we do have a lot of um labor from overseas like people who come in and work and you know as, as migrants and I don't know what the minimum wage looks like for them and if there is one um so yeah it would definitely upset the economy of the country a little bit and like I I don't know enough economics about that or to have a comment on that but um mm. in terms of hospitality it was very like it was amazing there was nothing short of amazing to go back and be like holy crap like we're doing some amazing things in Singapore when it comes yeah. to coffee uh, Singapore already has quite a globalized uh, restaurant scene. So a lot of different global chains, you know, have flagship stores in Singapore. So honestly, the food is oh, insane. I miss it. I'm like, <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, like in terms of coffee, uh, the competition scene is very strong in Singapore. Um, the the cafe scene takes a lot of inf- influence from like the Antipodes and from uh, Korea primarily now actually as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of beautiful minimalist cafes that I go to all the time. Um, oh, nice. And the standard of coffee is 
mental, just mental. I'm like, wow, like some some of the stuff that I've seen would rival, you know, would rival stuff in London, would rival stuff, uh, you know, in, in, in Australia or Korea. So, yeah. And I think there was also a very strong emphasis on um, Asian coffees as well, East Asian and Southeast Asian coffees, which I really That's nice. enjoy. Yeah. You yeah. know, just from like, just from like a shipping and transport perspective, I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like I get to enjoy yeah. all the stuff that I would have to either pay a premium for here or just don't really see around. So. Yeah. I think uh, we as well in Sweden, we don't have a, a minimum wage actually. Mm. However, I think the the agreed upon standard minimum wage is like it's quite good. Oh, that's good. So you still you still earn better in Sweden for sure, but what I do a lot now, I I mean I compare it to wherever I lived. So I lived in in Melbourne and I lived in Berlin and I lived in Sweden and I mean to be honest, they're all they're all pretty wealthy countries, but mm. I think the the difference is that in Melbourne and in Sweden it's more expensive but they also have better pay. Yeah. Like like you can look at working in coffee as a proper career. Yeah, in, in Australia this. and in Sweden, especially in Australia I guess, but in Sweden too if you work within hospitality you can do that for the rest of your life and you yeah, it's not going to be the best pay but it's still good enough. That's a comfortable pay. Yeah. And you can definitely like reach higher levels because we also have because we don't have a minimum wage, we have sort of like a step ladder for if you are this old you should have a higher pay. If you uh-huh. have worked in the industry for more than six years, you should have a higher pay. And you can like place yourself on these ladders and companies either have to agree with it or not. So I have like tell told people no at the end of living in Sweden, I was like, nah, you're not paying me enough. I am actually better than that. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, but don't be sorry. Like, thing, right? Like, like, I've worked in the industry since I was a teenager. Why should I pay? Why should I work for the same amount yeah. of pay that you would pay a teenager? Oh, God. I, like, I, I don't think we have that in London, which explains a lot of the, I mean, flat out exploitation going on. What really pisses yeah. me off is I've heard some you know, alleged horror stories of companies, you know, taking, taking the piss with COVID, you know, and, and the fact that people yeah. are desperate for jobs, uh, you know, as a reason to pay less, which I, it, it's honestly just abhorrent behavior, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, for sure. Like I looked around a little bit on pay uh, discrepancies between like the UK and Germany and Germany in Germany is a little bit different. Like, in Berlin, it's like there is where you find the lowest wages. I've heard. Apparently, the rest of Germany you find better wages, but Berlin is really exploitative, and it's oh no, you know, it's you get so many reasons why you should have a low wage. It's like oh, but we are, you know, we're teaching you things, or That's awful. But you're but you're no. earning tips as well, so no. you need to you need to put tips into the account, and I'm like I'm not working for tips because no. you can't. You can never guarantee that I will have that much tips in the first place. But also, it's not a part of it's not a part of my pay. Like no. you shouldn't say, "Hey, our customers are obliged to give you some of your pay as well." It's not that's not how it works. I wish there wasn't tips. I actually wish we could just eradicate tips and give everyone a good wage to start with. 
yeah, I've heard a lot of amazing counter arguments about, you know, against tips um, from from people in the States. But I again, I don't agree with it either. Like, it's not really a thing. Uh, it's not really a thing here. Uh, not in the same way that it's a social expectation, for example, if you're in the States. Um, you know, yeah. it needs to be a certain component of your, um, you know, your, your bill and stuff. But um, yeah, it's not it's it's not really as popular. There are places I've worked in where like people have taken the, like again, taken the piss just been like oh yeah that's part of your wage I'm like no or worse I've worked in a place once where like the boss would just pocket the tips and then he would just arrange at the end of a at the end of like every quarter he'd be like let's go out for drinks and I'm like dude no like you're taking our tips from us like you're essentially stealing from us like that's not on the thing there's a curious thing about like going back to Singapore which I find horrible and fascinating at the same time which is work culture Mm. and I didn't realize this until I went back or like maybe I did and maybe that's why I escaped Singapore <laughs> <laughs> um Singapore is very bad for not allowing people to maintain a good work-life balance um a lot of it is tied to the whole like productivity myth and again that's I think that's deeply cultural as well you know it's very culturally entrenched where it's like you need to be producing for the country you need to be you know measured in units essentially and and you need to be Mm -hmm. constantly at work constantly proving that you're doing a good job and and things like that so from you know I inherited that I inherited that from like my mom and was like screw this so I left (laughs) Um, but then I saw a lot of my friends uh, you know even when they were doing university at the same time I was I was like why are you so much more stressed than I am and then it got to the point where they were like going into their new jobs and they were doing, you know, unpaid internships or like low paid internships and they would still be in the yeah. office at 11 p.m. And I'd be like, you're kidding, right? Like, what? And then, you know, when I went back this time, I remember overhearing like a conversation about like a, a company emailing someone in the West. So like in, in the UK or in the US. And um, there is a, a slightly derogatory term for foreigners in Singapore called Angmo, which means like red haired or like ginger mm-hmm. because all mm. Caucasians <laughs> apparently used to be ginger in Singapore or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's very similar to like uh, gringo in Spanish or like guaylo in Cantonese and stuff like that. Oh yeah, guaylo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So then that, so I then, have been that my whole life. Oh God, no, no, that's a whole different, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. <laughs> Um, that's the thing. So then like, um, I, I basically overheard this comment being like, oh, like, don't bother like expecting a reply. Like they work to, you know, the people in the West work to Angmo hours. And I was like, what, (laughs) a nine to five, like a normal ass person? Like, you mean they don't work past like 9 PM? Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you know, like, I think that's, I think that's a good thing. So stuff like that. And then I, we're actually trying to get it down to six hours every day. (laughs) trying to get it down to like a four day work week okay guys like don't (laughs) you don't get awards for being productive um it's it's so funny and you know that and and like I have to to link this to hospitality I've had friends who've like opened cafes whatever and are still answering messages at 11 p.m or like working 14 day streaks and and it's 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 so complex because it's tied into you know how much your 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 minimum wages, how much you know as a business owner are you allowed to like salary yourself and you know it's so complex. But I just find yeah. it's it's very damaging when we're not able to talk about it productively as well. And it's kind of like the norm. 
you just you answer emails on a Sunday, you answer messages on a Sunday. And I'm like, don't don't do that. Like you can afford to wait till Monday. Like it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the thing I found very fascinating uh when I went back. Do you think it's this is like an Asian culture thing? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um even today, like my mom will still occasionally ask me, Oh, like what is it that you do? Like, why are you so free all the time? And I'm like, I'm not free. I'm like, A, I'm working from home. B, like, I pay my bills, mom. And C, like, it, it flexible working is maybe a bit more prevalent here in the West. And again, I could be really, like, overgeneralizing. But especially after COVID and, like, the whole working from home thing, like, companies are beginning to realize that, hey, this is a viable way to structure yeah. our business when we go back to normal life. So. You know, and and I I personally work better when I'm not being micromanaged. That's just a that's that's just a thing. I don't know if you could tell, but <laughs> um, yeah. So then I I really enjoy you know having the freedom to decide my working hours, to be able to be more productive one day, and and you know like be able to do so much work and to be able to like cut myself a little bit more slack some other days. So yeah, but I just don't even think we're we're at that point in the discourse yet with Singapore, which really saddens me because I know so many friends who like deserve a motherfucking break <laughs> take a break yeah. so yeah yeah for sure i mean that's something that i don't i don't have to deal with that so much but like my partner he has i think he's heard this for so many years yeah like you know like when are you gonna get a proper job or like oh now covid is happening are you gonna then start working at a real job or are you gonna like go back to your real career And all of these things, and it's like, I I I can see what they're saying, and I understand why they are saying it because they moved from one country to a better country where they had where they wanted to give better opportunities for <laughs> for their kids. But yeah. personally, I don't like have a very, I don't see my family that much, and I don't talk to them that much, and my especially my Chinese side of the family, I don't talk to very often so I only have this interaction whenever I go home to my hometown and I see my uncle and he always has the same questions like okay so are you married yet oh all the time are you gonna have a baby then do you have a real job now and it's like are you earning money are you earning money and it's like mm, <laughs> I'm working on yeah, it <laughs> I mean It was almost like all my family got super bummed that I went to university because I didn't start making money. And I was like, maybe I will make money after this. And <laughs> now I'm not. So. It's so, it, it's fascinating because, you know, well, I've also heard several, several discussions about how much harder it is, you know, because of inflation, because of like depreciation of money and, and all that kind of stuff that like we, we are not able to afford the same staples that our parents were at our age today. So then that, however, is mistakenly, you know, blamed on, oh, you don't have real jobs or, oh, like you don't have kids. I'm like, of course I don't have kids. If I can't even support my own ass, like <laughs> I'm going to give birth to another one. Um, I have a, not ah. a good idea. No, yeah. I'm like, that's not a sound economic decision. Oh, no, no, no. Just get a rich husband. I, 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 even, like, I'm like, that's hard 
that you're hard pressed to find them these days. Um, My rich husband works in coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't even believe you. Yeah, um, no, he's not rich, oh <laughs> and he's uh, not my husband, so you know. No, 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 that's not happening. But yet. he does work in coffee, so, <laughs> I just, so we have no money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, oh god, I feel that. Um, but I just, yeah, I found all of those questions really irrelevant. I do find them very hard to answer when they come from my grandmother. And that's just because I love mm. her bits. And I'm just always a bit like, <laughs> you know, and you know, in addition to all of those things, she'll be like, so when are you like, when are you moving back here? Like, when are you moving back home? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, grandma, don't ask me that. Like, it breaks my heart when you ask me that, yes. you know? Um, and I remember actually having to tell her one time and just being like, grandma. And I think also part of this is like a language barrier as well. Like, so Chinese is my second language. Uh, Mandarin Chinese is my second language and I am, mm. I am however not as fluent in it as my mom is because Chinese is her first language so like I do I do still I do still speak to them in in Mandarin but like the deeper like nuances of the thought and conversation that I would otherwise be able to have in English I'm not able to express myself as eloquently in Mandarin so yeah when I speak to my grandma I just remember having to like sit her down one time and be like grandma in as broken Mandarin as possible I was like gran like I I moved here because like I wanted a different life and I've got mm -hmm. dreams I want to chase and like I hope you understand that like I, you know I'm probably not going to get back together with my husband I really enjoy the life I have now I like I'm making enough money to support myself I have a nice place blah 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 like you don't have to worry about me and that was the first time she like shut up bless her I was like grandma Oh my gosh, it got through. Um, and she stopped asking me after that, which I thought was like progress, just because I know how heartbreaking it can be when when you're not fulfilling your family's like ideas and dreams for you. And it's like, well no, yeah. but I'm still doing pretty okay. Like Yeah. You know, so like we're doing what what works, right? Yeah. You know? Like and even if I never own a house in this lifetime, who needs a house anyway? Houses smouches, like <laughs> houses sit where they are, right? You can't move them around. And if you want to yeah. move around, how are you gonna get a house? Yeah. And I still have, you know, like I wanna travel, I wanna see the world. I have so many experiences that will not involve having a house at the moment. Like which I'm I'm yeah. perfectly happy with. And it, and I think also, actually, the, the other interesting thing is I've chatted with a couple of friends about this recently, where it's like, I feel like our, our parents and the generations before us are trying to juxtapose a different structure of working onto a generation that, you know, the structure no longer fits. So, for example, they're like, oh, when are you going to get a real job? Like, when are you going to get a promotion? When are you getting a raise? Like, and all of that pertains to like a career ladder. And in coffee, this looks like, oh, you start in front of house somewhere and then you work your way behind the bar and then you learn how to steam milk, you become a barista and then the senior barista and then the cafe manager. And then if you're lucky, you work yourself into a roastery and then maybe you're doing like QC one day and blah, blah. And like, that doesn't exist. I don't know a single person who has found this mythical coffee career ladder and climbed it and lived to tell the tale. Like so many people who are in the positions that they are today that I know of didn't do that. Um, I mean, it doesn't take that route, right? It's no. like, it can, it can go whichever way. It's just, I feel like sometimes it's just a matter of luck who you end up meeting and Your who you end up talking to. 
Yeah. Yes, a lot of the time connections, which is a good and a bad thing if you're like introverted <laughs> and really do, sometimes just want to close yourself in and just sit in your room and be like, I can't meet new, new people today. Like, no. Yeah. Also, like if you're a woman and you're from a marginalized community, if you're BIPOC, like, yeah. you know, if you're trans and you're disabled, like so many of those conversations and networking opportunities do not have you in mind. Yeah, for sure. Which is a very unfair. But yeah, like with the whole like career ladder thing, I'm like, no, my my career has never looked like that. And, though, you know, those conditions, like the working hours, the, the periodic raises, like they don't yeah. apply to me as much anymore. And I think a lot of it stems from worry. Like I'm sure that our parents and our grandparents are worried that yes. you know, we're not being able to like feed ourselves. Um, but no, that's not the case anymore. I've come this far and I'm still alive. It's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm still breathing. I'm still, I still work in the same field as you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, my my uncle is, there. my uncle owns a Chinese restaurant. So, you know, like that's when I started working in hospitality mm. in his restaurant. So I haven't made that big of a step, but he still manages and I, I also manage. I think it's also like, speaking their language a little bit so for example the way I've mollified my mom bless her um is because she was always like when are you going to find a real job and when are you going to use your degree so those are the two conditions right yeah yeah um so then when I started writing for publications and coffee I was like aha this is it this is the perfect like piece of proof so then you know I sent her my very first publication and I was like here you go. Stop bothering me. Um, and, <laughs> and since then, she's been, you know, she she enjoys reading my my articles on coffee. She enjoys like the stuff that I do. And I just don't I just don't tell her that it's like it's actually like my side gig. Like I do it on the side when I have time. I do have a real job. But for her, that is like enough proof to be like, oh, she's using her linguistics. This is OK. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's out there. She's published. It's all yeah. Good. <laughs> Yeah, oh, something that she can show people as well and yeah, be like, like tangible proof. Exactly, she's doing things. <laughs> God bless her. Um, my uncle's the same as well. Like they both, they both are always on that train. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna send you some magazines that I've written in now. Just shush. Um, but yeah, I love. Yeah. Them much. Oh yeah, I can do that too. I'll send home some magazines. We have this. Uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly plug uh, coffee zine that is. Oh, openly be released in Berlin. Yes, it's not mine, so it's <laughs> it doesn't feel so bad. But there's a coffee scene that is there's two three people who are starting a coffee scene in Berlin, and it's called We Bean Scene. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I think I've seen it around actually on Instagram. Yeah, and it's a a coworker of mine. I don't know how to explain this. So it's a coworker of mine and her other two coworkers. Yeah. So she works part-time at the cafe I work at, and she works part-time at another cafe that is called She Said Cafe, and it's, like, really cool. It's, and me and my partner are gonna, you have to excuse my English sometimes, because, like, this brain is, like, stuffed with so many different things. Dude, don't Um, even worry. Like, did you both submit stuff for the... So we submitted a piece together. Oh, very nice. Uh, for for a bike coffee ride. Okay. Is it like a charity event? No. So it's more like uh, we created a, a route 
right. with different coffee coffee places on the way. And we tried to accentuate like coffee places that are not like the big coffee places in Berlin. Oh, I love I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we did that all of all of last year when we were quarantining. It was sort of like we were all we haven't had any like proper lockdowns. We haven't had any curfews. So we were always allowed to go outside if it was under the pretense of working out, basically. Like yeah. getting your daily jog in or whatever. Oh yeah. And so we did all of these like really long bike rides last year. We did like a three different like seventy kilometer ones. And we just biked all around Berlin, like as far we as far as we had the time to go and seventy kilometers that was literally from like morning time to night time and I was always like, We can't make them longer. Oh my god. <laughs> and he was like, What do you think about eighty kilometers? We can oh do my that, god. right? And I was like Mm-mm, no, no, we can't do that. We don't want to just bike all day. We just we want to also like see things. Dude, when like things open up, you should make this like a yearly event, just like the the mega bike ride of like you need to make this happen. <laughs> Honestly, no, no, it's not possible. Ride. It is like we we are planning to do like a little mini series of smaller bike rides, and then we created a QR code for it so people can actually. Just download the map and go for themselves. Amazing. Can I purchase the zine from in the UK? I'll send you one. I'll send you one. Yay. Thank you. For sure. We'll do we can and... do a little trade every now and again. It can be pen friends. Yes. Yeah. I was also yes. <laughs> I had a thought and I forgot. Oh, and I was gonna say that like Berlin is probably like number one on my list to visit when lockdown ends just because I've got so many it's like the it's like the spirit home that never that never happened because I have so many loved ones living in Berlin but how come like what happened <laughs> how do you know so many people oh my god so like so I I often go to Berlin for tattoos anyway and I remember when I first visited mm-hmm. I was like oh I hate this place I was like oh I don't I don't speak the language and like everything's like yeah grungy and this is just not my vibe and also I went in like the middle of winter which probably didn't help either um but then I went in summer the next year and I was like oh my god the vibe is completely different oh Um, yeah yeah and I was just like hey Berlin is I think also part of it was like insecurity because Berlin felt way too cool for me I was like not yeah I'm not a cool kid so I was just like oh my gosh like there's so much underground stuff going on this so that's it like uh, Berlin's Europe's cool kid. Exactly. It. It's like the, and, uh, the cool alternative <laughs> kid. And I was just like, I'm just a nerd. Like Berlin will never accept me. Um, that's exactly then, what I felt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone then. Um, no, but then, I mean, I've never been to Bergheim. What the? F- <laughs> I, I haven't, but I have been asked for directions to Bergheim. And I was like, I'm not cool enough to know where this is. So don't, <laughs> yeah, don't I ask don't me. Know. Yeah, but um, it's funny because so um, a lot of friends started moving. This is after this is after Brexit, and I'm not surprised that this happened after Brexit. But a lot of friends from London like started to move to Berlin. Then um, gradually that pool kind of grew and grew. Like so now my my gay best friend lives there. <laughs> like um, a lot of coffee people live there, um, and I was just like, I need to visit and also maybe get a tattoo there. Again, yeah. when I go just to celebrate, like you know, so yeah, for sure. Now that I know that you're there, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you guys up. It's gonna be amazing. yeah. We're right here, right in the middle. 
yeah. So maybe when like my visa runs out, if if I don't get like citizenship here, I'm just gonna move to Berlin because I'm like screw it. Maybe I'll be cool enough by then. Did Brexit do anything to make it harder for you to get a visa, or how has it been? Like, no, Brexit didn't really interfere with that. No, Brexit didn't. I mean, we were already not part of the um, what is that term? Schengen. Yes, mm-hmm. we're not part of Schengen territories anyway. Um, Singapore is just all the way on the other side of the world. But also, annoyingly, we don't have kind of like a like special Commonwealth dispensation, even though we're part of the Commonwealth. And even though we used to be a colonized community, a uh, colonized territory. Um, so I found that very interesting. So Singapore is basically basically has a strong enough passport that the British government will not give any sort of special dispensation dispensation oh. um yeah and i've had a lot of friends who who are not allowed to have dual citizenship because the singaporean passport is so strong so they can only choose between that and the british passport oh that's really good yeah so i've just been like ah, no um but yeah brexit didn't affect us um it's just as hard or as easy i guess if you want to think about it that way um, as it was for us yeah. to remain in the country as it was pre-brexit so and how long until you can get your citizenship? Uh, this is the annoying bit. So you have to, so when I was on the partner visa, so basically the, the term is called indefinite leave to remain. And it's kind of like the equivalent of the American green card where mm. you have to fulfill a term of like five years under the same visa with no hiccups. Like, you know, you're completely clean. You don't get arrested for anything. Um, yeah. And I had already been in the UK for university for three years, but they didn't count those three years. So all in all, I've been in the country for seven to eight years now, but they only counted, they only started counting from when I had my partner visa. Um, and I didn't fulfill that. So basically I'm starting from yeah. scratch and I have to be in the oh, UK wait, for the, no. yeah, I have to be in the UK for the next five years consecutively um, under the same yeah. visa. Yeah. Yeah, visa struggles. Visa struggles. They're they're a whole <laughs> whole subject in itself. Oh man. Yeah, it's weird because the world is so connected. It's so connected. It really shouldn't be this difficult to live somewhere you want to live and work somewhere you want to no. work. You know, but again, that's very. It's a very simplistic, I think, socialist point of thinking, and I'm like, I'm happy to hear differing opinions as to why that's not possible but like it's yeah it's just kind of sad when like the ordinary lives yeah. of people are ruined i guess it feels a lot like guarding your your territories and you know when you have partners in different parts of the country different the parts of the world it's yeah. really stressful tell me about it i think if we if it was easy we would move back to australia at some point but it's not easy. For, and you there for two years? Like the, the the I was only there for one year. Gotcha. Because I didn't do the farming, I wasn't allowed to stay a second year. And I really didn't want to do the farming because I I actually felt like I had found the thing that I wanted to do and I found the place I wanted to work and the people I wanted to be around. So I was like I'll do my one year and then yeah, it's it's a shame that I have to leave, but I'll have to leave. <laughs> And yeah. then I left, and I really have missed Melbourne ever since. 
and I feel like it's the only place I've felt maybe it's similar to what you feel in the UK. But I mean, for me as a as a Swedish person with Asian background, it's like I have always been the odd one out. I have always been singled out as the Asian. And it's not even like the Chinese, it's like basically the Asian because the there are so few. It was just like a handful of us growing up in this whole city that I lived in. And of course, also because my, my uncle owns a restaurant that has been there forever, it's like everyone knows who I am. And I'm like, everyone knows who I am, but I don't know who they are. Yeah. And they would co even come up to me and like talk to me about my family and my, my private stuff. And I, oh. because I worked also in hospitality, it was like I was always readily available and I worked in the clubs so people would just randomly talk to me about my life and I was like this is not for me and like I ha I have no part of this drama whatsoever <laughs> like yeah. leave me alone oh god and in Melbourne I felt like it was the first time in my life where I wasn't being singled out for any reason because Melbourne is very it's super multicultural especially there's a lot of Asian immigrants in mm. Melbourne mm. and it felt so nice to not be pointed out as the Asian anymore you know and I felt like I finally like saw people around me that looked like me oh man I like yeah I get that I get that really deeply so, yeah and I like there's a lot of there's a lot of Singaporean people as well like a lot of Singaporeans go to uh, Australia for university just because it's you know close by yeah but yeah no I I definitely I, I think it's a third culture child thing I, I think it's 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 being an immigrant today. It's just part of the immigrant experience. And I'm not saying that it's excusable as such. I'm just saying that it's often the thing that we have to brace ourselves for, you know, like either being singled out where we used to be or being singled out where we are now. And I feel like you're very lucky that you felt, you know, and it's very good for you that you felt that you were not standing out for the first time in your life. Like that's super positive and that's, and that's how, and that's how it should be. Yeah, and I guess that's how we ended up here. Like, I found this podcast, and I found, for the first time, I found a podcast that was, like, one of the hosts was Swedish, uh, Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Her background was Swedish and Hong Kong. Hong Kongese? How do you... <laughs> I, all of the, so my, my Hong Kong friends call themselves Hong Kongese, but I'm like, that's such a, like, clunky term, like... <laughs> it it, it's not, it doesn't work well. It's not very flattering, like, yeah. She grew up in Sweden, so she's, like, like me. She has a Hong Kong background, and she lives in Sweden, and she feels always singled out. And I was, like, listening to this podcast, I was like, shit, I had no idea. I had no idea that this was so important to have. Yeah. Because I've never had it. Yeah. And then you said something on your channel that you were thinking about starting a podcast. And I'm like, hey, this is this is very important <laughs> to me right now. Yes! Like Representation is actually the thing that I feel the most strong about right now. Because I've just realized how much it matters. I feel so like when you reached out and you were like, I'm doing it. I was like, thank God someone else is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, like, just think about, A, the amount of work that goes into doing a podcast. I was like, good on you. But it is hard work. And to know that you were, like, so devoted to the idea that you had already reached out to Ashley, you know, and that you had already, like, started setting up stuff. I was like, 
good on you, girl. Like, go and do it. And, you know, and, but, like, people always ask, like, oh, why did you, like, why did you set up the core or whatever? And I was like, well, because I wish somebody had been that voice for me or that person yeah. for me that told me, hey, like, I see you or, hey, like, you're not making shit up in your head. Like, you're experiencing some stuff. And I wanted to be that for somebody else. And you, like with this podcast, are doing this for so many other people out there. And you're going to get so many people reaching out to you being like, holy shit, thank you. Thank Ooh. you. For talking, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I have two sides about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm totally underprepared and underqualified. What do I do? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, a part of me is just like, hey, if it just reaches like 10 people that needs to hear it, then I am like, that's it. That's enough. Like, I don't want. Oh, I don't want a big following. I don't want a big listening. I don't want too many people even oh. knowing who I am. That's a problem. That's a problem when you're doing something where it's like, okay, this is you and you're putting it out there. And I'm like, ah, first of all, I have so many issues about am I good enough? Uh, is it going to be good enough? Will I have enough time and energy to put on this? But also it's like, I don't really want people to know who I am. Everyone criticizes everyone. <laughs> it's like, I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be more perfect. I'm just going to still try to say things. And then I'm like, oh shit, I just said something really bad. <laughs> I've got like eight, first of all, I mean, you've got another thing coming. This is going to take off. It's going to pop off. Um, B, <sighs> like, I, I know you're just like, sigh. What have I done? Um, you know, but it is going to take off in the best ways possible. And I think that it, like, I can't even tell you what that journey is going to look like, but you are going no. to be so encouraged and bolstered by people who believe in the same thing and who have always wanted to be represented and, and, and like, that that growth is going to come for you man like it's it's gonna it's gonna take you and roll of it and also like i think imposter syndrome is such a hard thing to deal with and i think we get it on several yeah. levels several levels you know and several layers as as women um as women of color you know there's it's yeah. so intersectional what that looks like and i just want to you know affirm you and be like dude you're doing the right thing and there are ways to separate your, you know, your personal life from, from what you're doing, you know, with this podcast, but also one perspective I want to offer is it wouldn't be what it is without some form of personal pain and personal input and personal labor. Like it wouldn't, it won't take off if you're being inauthentic. And I don't think from this conversation that you are being inauthentic. And then that's why, then that's why I think it's going to succeed because it's like it people want to hear vulnerability and people want to hear authenticity and that's mm. so important and that's just a, unfortunately a, a, a big component of the work that we do in social justice and you or you probably already know this and you're just like ah shit <laughs> like, um but yeah and that's just so valuable it's really really valuable yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just like what have I got myself into now yeah I have this conversation with myself quite a lot actually yeah but like when you're working with Al Alpro, is that uh, is that financially like stable or is it something that? Yeah, it's so it is my main it is my main job. It is the thing that pays the bills. Um, I I do supplement my income with you know all the other stuff that I do with freelance. Um, mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I think it, it leaves me in a position where I'm able to say, okay, I can, I can spend my time and energy some, on some other things that will also benefit Alpro. Um, so for yeah. example, a lot of the, a lot of the connections that I, I make through the core directive, I also redirect towards like maybe like doing a recording with Alpro or some sort of project of Alpro or whatever. Um, but also the, the plant-based movement and like sustainability in general and eco-sustainability is so important. It's, it's such an important facet of feminism too, because it's talking about how to, you know, lead a more equitable existence and, and, and like a, a more ethical existence as well. So um, yeah, I find that a lot of these aims with all of my different jobs kind of like dovetail into each other, which I, which is fantastic and works out for me. So, yeah. So you don't stress about being a freelancer then because you have a stable income and you can do the freelance like as much as or as little as you want on the side. Oh yeah. Like I still stress, but it's the, it's the, it's not the stress of, I won't have a roof over my head or like I'm struggling to pay the bills. That's definitely not the case. And I'm very, I'm very lucky. I'm very, very privileged. Um, so I do try my best to like redirect some of those opportunities that, for example, if I can't take on, I'm like, okay, you know, I can't do this, but I know someone else that can. Um, so I do try to support like my, like my women friends. I do try to support Mm. like my BIPOC friends, um, who are maybe in need of a different gig or like in need of a project or some sort of connection. Um, I, I firmly believe that's the way forward. That's awesome. And you, we also have a uh, London Coffee Festival coming up. Ah, yes. Yes, we do. You're going to do something with Alper, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we've got the v- London Coffee Festival virtual coming up and that's next weekend. I don't know when this podcast is going to be released, but it's going to be the 16th to 18th of April. Um, mm-hmm. But then... Yeah, London... I think this is, this is probably not going to be released yeah. in time. <laughs> don't worry. I think we should still talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And then pe- I think people, I think it's like, you can go back and view it and it will be accessible anyway. But um, it, don't quote me on that. I don't actually know. But um, the, <laughs> if, go on. if it's still possible to watch it afterwards, we'll link it. Yes, for sure. That would be yeah. really nice. Um, but then the other, so the London Coffee Festival in person is hopefully going to happen in September or October of this year. Um, oh really? Yeah, I. I mean, I don't know if it will. I'm hoping that you know enough of our population will be vaccinated by then, and enough of the world will be vaccinated by then to make it possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, it still won't be you know the same as we remember it. Um, but with the virtual that's happening next weekend, um, I'm doing a couple of things with Alpro with regards to like sustainability of a plant based. Uh, a plant-based world so for example if like what happens if you switch out a dairy coffee for you know just one plant-based drink what changes you know what changes does that make in the world uh we're also talking a lot about um i'm doing this interesting segment with uh dale harris who is a world barista champion uh of i think 2019 i'm sorry dale if i got the year wrong (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh celeste wong the girl in a cafe uh, who is a prominent London coffee celebrity. Um, mm. And we are facing off on a machine uh, uh, called the Eversys Shopmaster. And Eversys is a Swiss company as well, which is amazing. Um, and it is, uh, it's basically a machine that like steams milk perfectly mm-hmm. for you. 
And I've never felt so like impressed and almost humbled by a machine because I was like, whoa, this is better than the milk ice theme normally. This is really weird. Um, you know, we're talking about how Okay. Yeah. And we're talking about how like automation is making some changes in the world of coffee. And I know that's going to be a particularly interesting issue because a lot of people have very strong opinions about automation. Um, yeah. You know, like the whole robots are stealing our job things. But there are hopefully some very interesting <laughs> counter arguments in that in that talk. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's another thing. We're doing like a fun like coffee quiz as well. Um, and things like that, like various, various bits and pieces for Alpro. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What do you stand on that? automation if you have a machine that steams the milk for you honestly i would completely lean into it and this is coming as someone who traditionally didn't think very highly of technology or social media like anything computerized basically but i had a really good discussion when i was back in singapore i visited a cafe that claimed to have or, or that actually no they did have a robot barista called ella <laughs> Um, and they're called Crown Coffee in Singapore. And I spoke to the owner and I interviewed him for an article and stuff. And basically his point was, hey, I'm able to cut down on my labor costs. So yes, there is that very real fear of being replaced by yeah. a robot barista. But think about it. How many times have we, like, especially if you're serious about coffee and wanting to grow your career in coffee, How many times have we been frustrated at the inability to connect with our customers or to demonstrate our craft when there's been like a busy rush, like when we're just knuckling down behind the machine, we're not even looking at our customers, just trying to get through, you know, the orders. Um, and all of that is mundane manual labor. And his point was, I am able to cut down on the cost of hiring baristas in my cafe. However, the people that I hire that are truly valued members of my team are valued not for the manual labor that they put in. They're valued for the human creativity and innovation that they bring to the team. They help, you know, they're helping steer, you know, my company in the direction of greater heights. They are helping me to do the things that robots would never be able to do. And yeah. that conversation just shifted my perspective drastically. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, the human touch isn't valuable. I obviously I, I love a handcrafted coffee but then I think the bigger discussion needs to be about how we value ourselves and our work and our craft like what are we able to bring to the table that robots can't yeah um and are we able to have a more productive discussion around what the future of coffee and what future roles and coffee look like if we do shift in in in, in that direction and so many companies are starting to shift to like you know, like fully automated machines in order to yeah. deal with like workflow. A lot of companies are shifting. It's like a lot of roasteries are doing, you know, pod coffees. And that's another thing that we'll be doing um, as the core directive uh, for the London Coffee Festival is that I, I will be on a uh, fringe event where I'm cupping capsule coffees with one of my colleagues in Singapore who, um, who co-founded the startup that I worked for. The, the coffee tech startup it's a company called drink morning and they're creating essentially the first smart coffee capsule machine where you're able to dial in everything from like your bloom time to like your temperature to your pressure the same way that you would for any Ooh. other yeah the same way that you would for any other semi-automatic machine and yeah 
we're going to be doing a cross-continental capsule cupping. Oh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but that, oh, that sounds so so fun, though. It's it's blowing my mind because I'm thinking, okay, when when we were in lockdown, so many people couldn't go to a cafe, right? So many cafes yeah. weren't open. So then that was almost the normal. It was almost like a normal and very natural cause of progression for specialty companies to be like, okay, how do we make coffees accessible to people at home? And pods were oddly, you know, the, the answer that a lot of people turn to. Um, however, the machinery that we have, uh, at, at least it, widely speaking, th- there wasn't very sophisticated machine. There weren't very sophisticated machines on the market. Um, yeah. And when I started working for Drink Morning in Singapore, it was like, oh my gosh, this could really revolutionize a lot of things. Um, so I'm very, I'm very excited to be able to run that and be able to make, you know, specialty coffee accessible to so many people. Like that would be such an important bridging gap for, for the specialty community to grow. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was my long ramble, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for the festival, but I really want to do like in-person events again when we're all safe and safely vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I haven't worked. I did. I did work actually. I did work last week for three days. I worked extra at a at a at a cafe. I was just temping basically. But other than that, I haven't worked at all since November. And how do you find like if you looked back at the season of your life? How do you feel about it? What do you think? Well, if we look back the whole uh, COVID year, I guess. Because we went in and out of, we opened and closed our cafe a few times. Yeah. Yeah, 2020, it's, it was the best of times and the worst of times. I feel that. It was really like, I learned so much about myself and what I needed. And I implemented a lot of new, new needs to my life. Like I started meditating and I have really not been good at that or like, I didn't really give it a chance either mm. before. I was just like, no, meditation's not for me. And then I also had a really, really bad time where I felt so depressed that I was also... I haven't really disclosed this to anyone except for my partner and my best friend, but I also went into a state of... I was like, for me, there's nothing more now. Like, I've reached a point where... All I can think about is I wish I didn't have to be here and I wish you weren't here so I didn't have to feel guilty about not wanting to be here, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, I feel that, yeah. Yeah, it was such a tough time. And to to have to have that dis- like conversation with my best friend, that was just like, I was like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and and it, again, it's like it comes down to so much shame even though I've been I've been an advocate for mental health and talking about mental health for all of my life because I've been depressed all of my life. I've been like I don't have any issues talking about it. But when it came to that point, I was like, shit. I actually feel a lot of shame right now and I feel like I can't I don't want to talk about it. This part of me I don't want to share. Yeah. Because it was it was too hard, and I felt like either people are going to judge me, or they're not going to understand at all. But that's like it. It's such a testament of how powerful vulnerability can be when used in the right context. And I think, like, 
I think that the discourse surrounding mental health, particularly in hospitality, which is a very intense, you know, highly, uh, you know, manual labor intensive um, industry. Mm. Uh, also very, you know, the fact that it's very customer facing means that you there is some degree of dissonance between how you're feeling on the inside most days and how you have to express yourself on the outside. Um, yeah. So the fact I, I think that the discourse around mental health is shifting so radically and it for the for the better um yeah. both in our generation today and in our industry and like I like again like similar to you I had always been a strong advocate for mental health but then there was a very like hip- hypocritical nature to it where I was like I don't like I I don't need medication like I don't need therapy I'll be fine like I what medit like meditation what's that you know didn't mm-hmm. think I needed to live by the same rules until you know things started breaking down bit by bit and um similarly I relate to you saying you know that you didn't want to be here anymore like with with therapy like I remember unpacking a couple of my suicidal episodes with my therapist and she was like when you say that you don't want to be here, it isn't that you actively want to die. Like it isn't that you actively want to see what's on the other side. You just simply don't want to keep living this way. Like you can't, you can't fathom continuing to exist like this. And that's a very different thing. Um, And that, again, that, that was really pivotal in helping me shift that, that narrative in my head. And I was like, okay, what are some of the things that I can change to make it so that I want to continue existing on this plane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like language matters. I think that was what, that was what struck me when I was going through what I was going through. Um, But also being able to communicate that to others who are feeling the same thing is equally important because so many people struggle with that shame and that stigma of not being able to talk about mental health or just thinking that like mental health is for like wusses or something you know like that's not the case yeah. like, even the strongest people and particularly the strongest people struggle with struggle with this so yeah 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 I think it always comes down to language and it that's hard because everyone speaks different languages and even if you speak the same language it doesn't mean the same to you as it does to someone else mm. which is something I really really <laughs> get a lot of when I I am in a relationship where our main way of communicating is English yeah. but it's neither of ours first language yeah so we have different understanding of what English is but then we also slightly communicate in three other languages. So it's like, it's a big mess and it's a big blur. And then in the end, I say that you said you would do coffee and he, and he will say, yeah, well, I said I will do coffee, but I meant after you do your coffee. Like it's, there's so, you can go into so small bits and it can just mean totally different things to totally different people. Yeah. And when we talk about like, People have always told me all my life that I am so strong because I talk about these things. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, okay, you want to say that I'm strong. But for me, it's become this. I'm at this point now where I'm like, I I know that maybe one of my strengths is that I am not so strong. Like, I very easily break down and I very easily go into my depressions again. But I also... Like, I also have always been, 
Like, my depressions has always been in... They come second, <laughs> which is really hard to say, to because depressions can be so debilitating. But for me, since I've lived with it my whole life, I felt like, you know, you can come, but you are not allowed yet. So I do the things that I have to do, and I deal with the things I have to deal with, and then I go home and I'm depressed. And then it's always a, this issue of like, okay, people look at me as this strong person, I need to be strong now, but it's like, no, because I can't do that, because I am at work every day doing my emotional work, talking to people, having to like mimic their their emotions, and when I come home, there's nothing left sometimes it sounds very it sounds very high functioning yeah so yeah super high functioning depression and that's that's what it's always been but I'm at this point now where I'm like okay it doesn't it doesn't need to be that way like I don't have to go to university and have three jobs on the side I don't need to do all of that at the same time no I can actually like this podcast was supposed to be released this month now it's not going to be released until next month and it's like you can you can push things and you can ask for time and you can tell things that this is not this is not plausible within this amount of time or it's not yes. feasible or yes. this is actually the the amount of work you're asking me to do is going to take triple the amount of time you want to pay me for like all of these things these are all negotiable now being strong i feel like is such a it has a meaning or everyone have their own meaning of being strong but now for me it's like being strong for me it's it's about it's more about letting myself be weak or like letting myself have my moments of weaknesses and like i need to re-energize and mm. i need to put down like boundaries <laughs> yeah yeah boundaries Boundaries with everything. No, yeah. I think that's that's the point. Like, everything needs to have boundaries, and you have to... Unfortunately, we have to do it ourselves. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, for sure. For shizzle. And also, I don't really know if you heard my if you heard my cat just definitely <laughs> heard your cat <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh no he's meowing he's up i'm, I'm, I'm glad That's we great. i'm glad that we made it as far as we did through the podcast without major salem hiccups um, and things like that but there you go i wish there was more <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy anyway yeah. yeah, I'm meeting a cat tomorrow actually i love how you're meeting a cat like oh you set up a meeting time with a cat yeah, 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 I'm gonna potentially cat sit them. So <laughs> that's my side gig, cat sitting. Dude, well, I was literally just talking about this with a friend um, the other day. I was like, "You make, you can make some real dollar taking care of furry babies." Like you can if you want to. Yeah, I, but I just, I just think about how amazing of a job that is in terms of like mental health, like flexible schedules you get to cuddle with animals all day I was like whoa get me out of coffee I want to I want to cat sit <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of the times it's been like that and I'm just like oh great at least I can go home to the cat now yeah but, but it is I mean I'm not making a lot of dollars on it <laughs> maybe it's different in London. I don't know but yeah no I mean I think you can definitely be a high paid cat sitter but I'm just like hey, I want to meet as many cats as possible, so I'm just going to put my rate down here with my coffee hourly rate somewhere. <laughs> oh my god. Such an excellent side gig. 
but yeah. I also wanted to to ask you about your Q grader, because you have a Q grader, right? Yes, I am a Q grader. Yes, um, you are a Q grader. Yes, I well, I Is say that, I am. That's a position. You yeah. are a Q grader. Yeah. So I yeah. So you have to so you you have to be certified as a Q grader. Um, and Q grader stands for quality grader. And what you do is you are under the CQI or the Coffee Quality Institute. So you take the course and the certification all in the same week. It's a very intense week. It was probably the most intense I felt since like university. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's a lot to study. Um, you basically go through different aspects of what it means to grade uh, for quality in coffee and green coffee. Um, it is not a necessary certification. And I think that's a very important thing to say. Like I know of plenty of people in QC positions who do not have a Q grader certification. Um, it's very similar to, I think, for example, being a professional barista without being qualified under SCA standards. Yeah. Um, so I definitely wouldn't want that to be any sort of like gatekeeping for if you wanted to pursue a QC job. But yeah, it was very intense. Uh, you do different things like you cup, you cup different origins of coffee, so you get to know all of their base, you know, flavor profiles and things like that. There's a lot of triangulation going on, so you have to pick out the coffee that is different. Um, you have to test for defects, so you have to know what different defects, like mold or phenols, taste like. Um, yeah, lots of different things that you learn within a week, and then the the testing. Like the exam takes place on the last two days of your course. Um, it is also a fairly pricey qualification, so I would really, yeah. really ask you to like consider uh, whether or not you can take on that financial burden before you go for it. Um, but it does set you up for some very interesting jobs, like green buying or you know again quality control in roasteries and so on and so forth. Um, so it is a useful thing to have. Um, and did you pay for it yourself, or did you get funded no, somehow? God, no. Um, Alpro uh, helped me out with my with my qualifications, so that was very, very lucky. I was very lucky to do that. I do know a lot of people who have self funded, and I was like, "Whoa, like, good on you." Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that did also coincide. So the way Q grading works is that you you are then you know when you get your qualification, you only hold a certification for three years before you have to recalibrate yeah. and renew it. Um, and what that means is that you, um, you are in this database of Q graders from all over the world. You, you state the, the country and the city that you reside in. And then when new samples come in that need to be Q graded, you can basically put yourself up for, you know, for, for offer and oh, have okay. the samples sent to you and then you grade. Um, and then you have to be very closely calibrated with the, the scores that you give the coffee has to be very closely calibrated to the other people. Um. And yeah, and then the the reason why it's so important is because a, a a producer's livelihood could depend on the scores that you award the coffee, um, which is a lot of pressure because then you're like, okay, you want them to obviously score as high as possible so that you can, you know, give them more money for their coffee. Uh, yeah. Not that they're being paid very sustainably anyway on the whole, but that's a whole different story. Um, but yeah, so then you have to be able to provide them with quantifiable feedback as to why their coffee has achieved the grade that it has or hasn't achieved the grade that it has. So if it doesn't qualify as a specialty coffee, why is that? Is there a lot of defects? Is there a lot of insect damage? Like, are there things that they could be doing better on the farm 
to, you know, process the coffee or make sure that it's up to standard. Um, and if they've, you know, achieved a certain score, like, you know, why is that? So yeah, it's being able to communicate that. However, I did get my qualification early last year and then the pandemic hit. So that acute rating has not been a thing for, for, um, for a year now. Um, but the time yeah. is still ticking down on my, on my certification. So that's going to be very interesting. I wonder if they're going to have like a COVID extension or anything like that. Oh yeah. And how is, like, do you have to keep paying for it after the first certifications for, to like recertify yourself or is it free? Nope. No, no, you have to pay for your reset, like your exams and you have to pay for the, the calibration and so on and so forth. They're very, they're separate um, examinations. It's funny. Yeah. That's very unattainable for a lot of people in the industry, I think. Yeah. And that's why I think it's, it's almost a, it's almost a formality like again you know plenty of people have flourishing careers without having to do any of the qualifications um yeah. and it, it, there's a there's a wider discourse around why it's so financially unattainable um you know for for individuals like if i hadn't had the support of alpro like the financial support of alpro i would not have been able to pursue it so why is that you know structurally and um, yeah yeah like it's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, would you have done it if it, if you have to pay for it yourself? It would have taken me far longer, but yes, I would have wanted to do it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Um, I was also going to ask, because mm-hmm. we have already, we have already talked about it a little bit, how the, the career within coffee is, it's not a straight one. Yeah. And the question is always where you want to end up, right? And I think that also, all where you want to end up, a lot of the times it changes depending on what where you are in your career at the moment in coffee. Like, what are you working with right now? Mm-hmm. That maybe sets up new goals and new ideas for what you want to do. Do you have like a dream career path or like a dream occupation within coffee? Ooh, I haven't had to consider this question for a while. And like in the course of my career, I have obviously, but like Mm. that's changed every now and again, but I haven't thought of this over a while. I would love to, I would love to travel more, but it's going to be very interesting to see in which capacity. So whether or not it's as a as a you know social ju- social justice advocate and coffee and you know going around and giving talks like I would love to give a TED talk, TED if you're listening, <laughs> give a TED talk one day. Um, yes. Uh, but uh, you know, on the other hand, there's also the the part of me that is like deeply interested in sensory science and 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 sensory qualifications. You know, so being a being a Q instructor was like high on my list after I got my Q grader certification. I was like, I would love to go around and travel around the world and teach people how to be a sensory professional. Like that's so cool. However, the, oh. the, the, the route to being a Q instructor is long and winding. You have to basically like calibrate successfully, like two or three times or something. Like, again, don't quote me on this, but I just remember someone told me that. <laughs> and I was like, that's a career of like 10 years of certification or something silly. 
Like, I, oh. wow, that's like way in the future. Um, and obviously yeah. your, your senses like, you know, degrade as you, as you age. So I was like, I, I need to get on this career <laughs> fast, fast. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. Also, alternatively, I'd love to get more, especially the sensory side of things. I want to go into like R grading. What is R grading? So robusta grading. So fine uh-huh. robusta. Yeah. So fine robusta is a part of the industry that I think. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think has yet to explode mainly because we're all on our high horse on, of Arabica. Um, mm. But a lot of countries produce robusta and a lot of countries are revolutionizing the way that they reduce that they produce robusta um and there's also a lot to be said about you know how how much you could pay for robusta how much that would augment the wage that producers are being paid you know what what, Mm -hmm. how that would transform you know the coffee economy and, and the market um, and so on, so forth, so on, so forth. Oh my gosh, I'm starting to like lose track of how to speak. So yeah, that's um, okay. <laughs> yeah, like it, it. So that to me has always been very interesting. Um, there's only I think like a handful of R graders here in the UK, uh, but a lot of say the big companies that Alpro work with, uh, like the big coffee companies like Starbucks and and Costa and so on, and so forth, um, have and Pret have experience in have people who are R graders and, and people who work in, in Robusta. Uh, yeah. yeah. And also I, and I don't know if you relate to this, but growing up in Singapore, I started drinking Robusta before I ever started drinking Arabica, you know, and that's a big part of traditional Singaporean coffee culture. So it would yeah. be nice to go back and, you know, it, go back full circle uh, to visit my roots again by doing this, but also be able to make an impact. Um, in the coffee yeah. industry while I'm at it. I think most of us, maybe not people growing up in, in coffee meccas like like <laughs> like Melbourne maybe. Yeah. But I think most of us started drinking Robusta as well. Like Yeah. Yeah. The coffee scene the coffee drinking culture is super, super strong in Sweden, but it isn't like uh the specialty coffee scene is very small actually. Even yeah. though I think it's a really good one, like very high quality. It's very small, it's and like per the everyday person do not know what specialty coffee is. Uh-huh. Like my friends have no clue what I'm doing and why it's special. Am I not just making coffee? You know. Yeah. But yeah, that. apparently, Sweden has the best non-specialty coffee. Like we drink as regular consumers drink really, really high quality robusta blend. Yeah. So it's like, insane amounts as well. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, there is definitely there's such a market for it. And I know that like also when you have the the difference between okay eighty four? Yeah. Is it eighty eighty four points that starts or eighty five where you have specialty coffee? It's 80 points, but, like, you can, yeah. Yeah. And then it's, like, those that are directly underneath it as well, it's, like, there, there is still, you know, there's levels to where specialty coffee should be and what it is, but the, then you have the lower-graded Arabica coffee that is also, like, super great. It's, yeah, still, it's still really, really tasty. Coffee. And it's, yeah, so there definitely should be more focus on 
lower grade Arabicas and on Robustas. Mm, for sure. So I hope, I mean, I hope my career would take me that way. But that's kind of like a, I need to put it on like mo- my mood board and manifest it or something. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, because I, I'm sure as well, if you talk about it a lot, you will find the people that are already thinking about the same things as you. And then, oh, yeah. 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 I'm excited. All right. Is there anyone you want to recommend for the podcast listeners? Anyone that is really inspiring for you within coffee or within hospitality as a whole? Oh, my God. Oh, so many people. So many people. I'm like, there's so many people that I look up to that have made it possible for me to continue with my work. Um, Okay, so um, my good friend, Sung Hee, who um, is Korean. Um, she started a nonprofit, uh, coffee organization in Costa Rica with her business partner and friend, uh, Abhinav Kanal. Um, they both met when they were in university and now they're doing this thing in Costa Rica called Bean Voyage, which supports, uh, smallholder women producers, um, by teaching them like financial literacy and, you know, like how to how to take care of their farms. Like a lot of, again, in a lot of patriarchal societies, women don't own land um, Mm. or don't traditionally own land, but like they're starting to find real pockets and communities in Costa Rica where women do and are trying to support them by doing that. So it's it's been like what they're doing is so amazing in Costa Rica. So I'd really uh, suggest checking them out. They're called Bean Voyage. Um, There are other people that I really look up to uh, in the States, for example, Sydney Patterson, um, who has hosted the Barista League before and used to work with yeah. Caravella. Uh, she runs the uh, Cascara podcast for Sprudge, and she's just an amazing all-rounder, like, all-rounder human being. Um, Kat Melheim, as you know, who does Coffee People Zine. Uh, I think at the point of this podcast, they've just launched uh, edition or issue 12 which supports um, or, or is mainly focused on trans writers in the community or trans art in the community, which is amazing. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, so cool. Um, close to the home. Um, I've always been a big fan of Taylor Brown. Yeah. I'm sure we all are. Aren't we all? Right? <laughs> like, Aren't we, we all, all are. <laughs> She's just amazing. You know, oh, Taylor. Taylor. Like, that's the thing. I feel like if I'd known Taylor earlier, or like you know, in the capacity that I know now, um, yeah. Back when I was still a young barista, like things would have looked so different. Um, so yeah, like there's been that. Um, and uh, clo- again, closer to actually closer to something very close to home for you, um, the Barista League, who are obviously based out of uh, Gothenburg. And just doing some incredible stuff with Morgan Coffee Roasters. Um, mm. Yeah. And I like their accessibility uh, ethos is just so admirable and inspiring. Um, Steve is uh, Steve is a friend of mine and he actually helped me set up the core when we were still in our younger days. Like just, yeah, I, I owe him so much. Um, so yeah, there's <laughs> so, so many people that I look up to that I'm just consistently humbled by. So I really recommend uh, checking them out um yeah so that's a really good thing about our industry then there's a lot of inspiring people (laughs) yeah but there's so many people who have made change out of their own pain yeah 
you know, or out of their own like disenfranchisement, which I, which is never perfect. It's never nice to have to like make change out of pain. Um, but they continue no. to inspire like that. It is inspiring, <laughs> yeah, but it is inspiring when yeah. it happens. So, um, yeah, I'm very honored to know them and I can't wait for the listeners to get to know them too. Awesome. So where can we find you if we want to find you? Okay. So you can find me at, uh, my Instagram handle, uh, Sierra Sriracha. And that is exactly how you spell it. Sierra as in S I E double R A and Sriracha as in Sriracha. In Sriracha. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try to spell Sriracha now and totally. If you're Sriracha. Asian, you know what it spells like. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I have a little, a little one of those Sriracha keychains. Oh, so I can, yeah. I can carry it around wherever, wherever I need. Exactly. If you want to find me, you know where to hit me up. <laughs> um, or you can find me at the core directive and that's the, and then K O R E directive D I R E C T I V. Um, and yeah, just keep in touch with our community on Instagram. That's where we're most active. Or if you'd like to, you can also join our discord server. Awesome. And I, I can vouch for it being a really, really nice group of people. <laughs> I mean, I was I was only a part of the cupping, but that was so amazing. Like it was fun. It, hey. really felt, it was so much fun, and we really felt like wow, we wish that we had something like that here. And I think that that it it is something that comes with not speaking the language and therefore not being like a totally ingrained in the culture that you miss out on this like group feeling so it's like because we do um oh, pardon me um we do have like quite a strong following uh within the eu which we, which we mm. love um i've always like i've been wanting to like push for more independent things to happen in in different cities apart from london because sometimes i just feel like it's really london centric and i'm like well people are not gonna know what we're talking about like i want to talk about things that are relevant to people living in different places um yeah so yeah that could totally be a platform for for something to happen um and berlin is such a hot spot for like people who are like there there are several people from berlin who are on the discord like susie from akaya and then there's maddie from cafe imports so like so many different people making things happen and totally would be up for you guys doing something in berlin like i would be the first to come and be like yeah that would be awesome or you can just come and you make <laughs> make it happen oh no i don't want to <laughs> no 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 don't don't make her come don't make it happen. Uh, i'm like i just want to sit and enjoy like yeah. what other people are doing for sure yeah no that's true don't come here for work come no. here for play oh my god yeah <laughs> i'm gonna do that mega bike ride that you guys are gonna set up and it's gonna be great and my thighs um, gonna die maybe you want to like take a take a few weeks and practice sitting yeah. on a bike for that long first because it fucking hurts oh my god i just imagine yeah i'm like wow that's intensive but yeah yeah i'm excited i'm excited for when the world opens up again and um we'll be able to oh yeah you know like see these changes happen it's gonna be great yeah for sure awesome thank you for coming on the podcast thank you for having me Pressure Profiles is now taking a summer break. Let's be honest, editing audio is fun and all, but after more than a year of social distancing, I need to enjoy the summer as free of obligations as possible. I will see you back here in autumn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pressure Profiles. 
I want to remind you that these are conversations between people with emotions, frustrations, and personal experiences. That said, I welcome all criticism, but please make it somewhat constructive. Pressure Profiles is a project of passion, and you are invited to be a part of it. If you want to have a conversation with me or someone else about the hospitality industry, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Pressure Profiles on Instagram. Thank you.